Welcome back, everybody. This is week two of the New Star Show. This is the show of interns. I'm here, Matt, with the debate of the week. I'm also on the Twitter team. And I'm Jarek. Um, I'm also with Matt on the Twitter team, and I also cover NBA breaking news. Cool, cool. So we have some great stories in store. Our opening drive, we're going to kick it off with the World Cup. Later on, we're going to talk football, and after that, we're going to wrap it up with the NBA. So, Jarek, what's going on with the World Cup right now? So, big news uh, breaking today um, as the 2018 World Cup um, is getting underway. It was announced that the 2026 World Cup is going to be making its way to North America. The United States, Canada, and Mexico um, won a bid to be the host for the 2026 World Cup. Um, This is the first time that North America has had um, a World Cup uh, since 1994 when the U.S. hosted it. Um, Mexico has hosted in 1970 and 1986. This is the first time Canada uh, will be able to host some World Cup games. Um, This is an exciting time um, for American soccer fans. Um, The sport um, is growing and growing. You know, it's often looked at as, as sort of a lesser in the major sports world in the United States, but the fandom's been growing recently, and um, certainly over the next eight years, it's just going to keep uh, projecting upward and upward. Um, and I think this is going to be great um, for the United States and Mexico and Canada as well to have this in their countries. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing about soccer fans is like they're they're slim in America, but they are serious about their sport. So I think that would be really Mm -hmm. cool um, if the U.S. does get it. You know, it may encourage the next generation to become more soccer fans. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting, though, how the U.S. Team USA isn't very great, but um, I'm not really sure about Mexico or Canada. Maybe they'll have an impact. Yeah, I mean, the United States, um, with a – Blunt. I mean, no one really expected them to miss out. They didn't even qualify for the World Cup this year, and they need to kind of wake up and kind of get back in shape and try and fix whatever the problem is because it'd be rather embarrassing if I mean, 2026 comes and our men's soccer team um, isn't able to participate in the World Cup that's being played in our own borders, you know? Um, so... I think this is great, and it's certainly something that we should be celebrating as sports fans, but the American soccer team has to get it together here. They have, you know, eight years to to figure things out, Um, but they can't afford something like this to happen again. Um, I mean, that would be a sort of embarrassment that I don't know how you really recover from short term. I mean, it was bad enough when we missed out this year. Um, but doing it after winning the bid, after trying um, for a few years now to be able to host again, after finally being able to win that bid, um, you know, they need to turn their focus on to winning and at least qualifying um, for the upcoming World Cups. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is the U.S.'s opportunity to show the world that we are a serious contender in the world of soccer. And Clearly, we haven't shown them this year. As you said, we missed it again. So hopefully in the future they can carry it out. Yeah, um, I think that if we were able 
um, to qualify in 2026. It would be really great to see all the fans filling up the stadiums, um, cheering on our own team. I think that would send a good message to the rest of the world saying that there is a base here in America um, for soccer, and who knows, maybe that will even help kind of lure some um, international talent into the MLS um, at some point down the road. I mean, the three countries, Canada, uh, the United States, and Mexico, went all in. This is um, expected to be a record-breaking um, deal, really. Um, I mean, they're supposed, they promised in this bid $11 billion in profit for FIFA for the 2026 World Cup, which would be record-breaking. Um, so they have high hopes and high promises. Um, and, you know, it's up to the United States now to deliver. Mexico and Canada have to hold their own as well. But with the United States hosting most of the games and the final, um, I think it's important for them um, more so than the other two to really step their game up and do their best to portray themselves well to the rest of the world. Wow. And do you know um, what cities are in the talks right now or they haven't been released yet? So, yeah, they have released um, the cities. Uh, there's going to be 16 different host cities for the 2026 World Cup. Um, looking at the ones in the U.S., uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Los Angeles, Denver, Kansas City, Dallas and Houston, Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, Nashville, Cincinnati, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, Toronto, and Boston in Canada, Montreal, and Edmonton, and Toronto, and then in Mexico, uh, Mexico City, Guadalajara, and Monterey. Um, and so it's pretty spread out. Uh, the final game, as I mentioned before, will be in the U.S., which will be exciting to have that um, within our borders. Uh, the largest stadium uh, that's going to be held will be the Rose Bowl in L.A., seeing about 92,000 people will be the largest uh, capacity out of any of the stadiums. So it's, I'm happy that uh, we are able to pull off this bid and uh, finally get it done, and it looks like they're already planning for a pretty exciting 2026 World Cup. That's awesome. And I bet you anything that Rose Bowl is going to be packed, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, L.A. Um, is if not the uh, biggest soccer town um, in America, it's certainly up there. Uh, they go out and support their team, um, game in and game out, the Galaxy. Um, and, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's going to be star-studded. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really um, – I think it's going to be a lot different from when it was here last. Um, L.A. was able to host a World Cup game last time it was in America. And I think this is going to even take it to another level um, because, as I mentioned, the, by the time we get to the World Cup, it's going to be the fandom for the sport is going to be even bigger than it is now. Just like we've grown since the 90s, um, soccer's really caught on in America, and I think it's just going to keep going up. So I'm excited to see just how much buzz we're going to be able to get by 2026, considering there's already a good amount of buzz now, um, and we're still eight years out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. But um, so moving on to football, we're going to talk the NFL first. Uh, guard Zach Martin 
just re-signed a deal proving that an offensive line is vital to an offense's success. So um, what do you think about that, Jared? Yeah, I mean, it's a six, uh, yeah, six-year deal worth $84 million, uh, a $20 million uh, signing bonus, $40 million guaranteed. Um, it's the most guaranteed money at the position in league history. Um, Dallas now has him locked up for the next seven years. And, I mean, he's been extremely consistent for the Cowboys. He's started every game in the past four years. He's been named a pro bowler each year of his career, um, and he's been all pro uh, in 2014 and 2016. And I think an offensive line is really, I mean, obviously the quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs, the guys who go out there and make the plays are going to generally get that big money coming in. But if you don't have an offensive line to support those guys and give the quarterback time and give the running back holes um, to maneuver through, um, I mean, it really, there's only so much they can do as an individual talent. So securing a good offensive line is, I think, one of the most vital things um, in football. And Dallas is showing that that's a priority for them with this move. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the proof is this past year with the Giants, they had no offensive line, and look how they ended yeah. out. Also, when you're, um, when you're rebuilding a team, you want to build from the inside out, so you want to gr- grab the centers and the guards and the tackles first before you go for your receivers, your running backs. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see someone like that getting the love that they deserve and just, you know, getting the respect they deserve. Yeah. I'm, Zach Martin is, I mean, one if not the best offensive lineman in the game right now. He's certainly one of the top ones. And he earned, I think you're right, like he earned this money. He's gotten what he deserves. Um, he works hard. He's consistent. The fact that he hasn't missed a game in uh, the past four years is outsta- um, outstanding. As a Bears fan, I just assume that it, that your offensive line is supposed to miss half the season. I just thought that's how it is. <laughs> Zach Martin showing what it's like to go above and beyond um, and really be there for your teammates. Um so I'm happy for him. It was obviously a no-brainer, I think, for uh, the Cowboys. And going back to your example about the Giants, um, they drafted Saquon Barkley in the draft uh, last month, a running back, and they have Odell Beckham at the wide receiver position and a maybe questionable quarterback in Eli Manning. Who knows how age is really going to affect him at this point. Um but when they drafted him, I was like, okay, he's very good, but they need to go out and secure a line now to help these guys out. And what do you know, their second-round pick, uh, 34th overall, they went out and got Will Hernandez, a guard from UTEP. And I thought that was a great move, and it shows that even a team like the Giants, who have a disastrous year last year, understand the importance of making sure that you have a good line uh, behind your offensive talent. Oh, absolutely. Will Hernandez is a straight beast, so um, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe they can turn some things around this year. Yeah, for uh, yeah, for their sake, because, I mean, last year was tough. Like, I'm not a Giants fan, but I felt like every time I opened my phone, it was another wide receiver goes down for the Giants, <laughs> and I, just, I couldn't help for, but feel for them. It didn't feel 
real. Like it was just like, how is it possible to lose this many players at the start of a season? Um, so I'm hopefully, uh, for the Giants' sake, they'll have some better luck this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially with the hype they had at the beginning of the year last year. People mm-hmm. thought they were playoff bound for sure, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. And now taking a step back, um, a level going down to the college game, um, there are some new rules in place. Last week we uh, briefly talked about uh, the Pac-12 conference instituting some rules specific to their own conference, but now we have some rules that apply to all of uh, Division One football. Um, Matt, could you take us through the details of those new rules? Yes, yeah, so as if we don't need any more bulls, the NCAA has decided to <laughs> add three more. So um, they've announced that one will be played at Wrigley Field and mm. one possibly in Myrtle Beach, and they're not sure about the other one. So starting in 2023, new bulls will be added. And the one in Wrigley Field will be an ACC team versus a Big Ten team. So uh, those will be the only contenders in in that game but um what that's do you think smart. about this a, i mean that's smart if you're at wrigley you gotta have a big 10 team guaranteed at least to start this bowl off um that's going to draw in certainly the biggest crowd just considering uh the location in downtown chicago um but yeah i think it's kind of unnecessary um i just mentioned that we talked about the pac-12 rules one of them was if you were if you had worse than a 6-6 six and six record, you can't get into bowl games trying to kind of eliminate sort of unnecessary games and bad teams playing. And, I, I mean, just adding more games I don't think is what anyone really wanted. Like, I can't imagine that this was an outside idea, that fans came up to college football and came up with this. They, for some reason, came up to this decision on their own. Um, I'm sure – a large chunk of it is financial purposes that this is, they hope to bring in some more money with this move. Um, so I think just considering how little details we know about these games, it's hard to really judge it because I mean, it's certainly possible that these end up being fun and exciting, but um, at the moment, I just don't really get the point of stretching this out any more than it needs to be. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. There's, a ridiculous amount of bowls at this point. Um, one thing that they did say was apparently people want to see more ACC versus Big Ten matchups in bowl games. I don't mm. know if that's coming from them or really coming from the fans, but if that's true, then, you know, more people will potentially watch this bowl, whatever. It, it adds to the running list um, of bowl games that many people likely won't watch. So yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll have to see. And um, along with that, there are some new um, rules specifically for the players. Um, one of them regarding redshirt status, um, and another one giving the players a little bit more freedom um, if they want to go and transfer. Um, can you sort of break down each of those um, and how you think it'll affect college football from here on out? Yeah, so uh, one thing that some people may not know if they don't, if they're not really in college football, is transferring is a really tough process. A lot of the times, um, a player wants to transfer out of a school, 
but their school will block them from talking to like a rival school or an in-conference opponent, which is a bit ridiculous. A lot of players want to transfer in between the same conference and have to go to play junior college for a year to even go to a school that they want to transfer for. So the NCAA says no more with that. Um, so no more blocking of transfers, which I think, in in my opinion, is good because, you know, the players aren't a pawn anymore. They need to have their rights as well. Yeah, and I think I think this was a smart move um, for uh, the NCAA just because there it has been so much talk of should players get paid, how much, all these rules restricting them. I think this is a smart, more than anything, I don't think this was necessarily their only intention, but I think the biggest positive is for PR, making it look like they're trying to give these kids as much freedom as they possibly can. Um, and I think it makes them look pretty good, allowing um, less restrictions on players choosing where to go. It'll be interesting to see how players take advantage of this. Um, new ruling, um, I mean, it could end up making not a huge difference, but at the same time, who knows? Maybe we'll get another LeBron to Miami or KD to the Warriors kind of thing where the players have so much power in their own decisions that they're able to sort of form up even after they've made a decision, they can able, be able to go back um, and try something new if it's not working out for them at their current school. So I think this will be really interesting to see. I like the rule, but really now it's up to the players to utilize this as much or as little as they choose to. Yeah, and so the other rule that is a change, which is a pretty significant change, is now players are allowed to play in four games before they are announced as a redshirt or not. So a player can play in four games and still redshirt the year, whereas before a player couldn't play whatsoever without them spending a year of their eligibility. Yeah, and this this is kind of surprising to me, honestly, that they came up with this rule. I think that this is another one where it's going to be interesting to see how people take advantage of this. Um, I do like it, the idea of it. Um, I remember something that comes to mind is uh, Julius Randle, when he was drafted by the Lakers two years ago, he got injured in the first regular season game, like five minutes into the first quarter, and didn't have the rookie status next year, even though he barely had any time on the court. Um, and so I like being a, like athletes being able to have that option of checking out and seeing if it, they're ready for it or not yet. Um, and being able to make uh, the most well-informed decision that they possibly can um, in terms of when they're ready uh, to really start getting serious um, about playing time on the field. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of teams will use it as a, like a grooming tool. You know, if they're up yeah. a lot, or even if they're getting blown out, they could play some of the younger guys, um, get them some experience, some more confidence before they have to perform on the field game in, mm -hmm. game in and game out, you know. So um, 
I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Um, it will definitely make a difference, but I don't know. I guess I have to just see how it pans out. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of different scenarios, I feel like, where this can come up. I mean, say um, a team's senior starting quarterback uh, twists his ankle in uh, practice or gets suspended a game or two for whatever reason. You can have, if you need to have, um, you know, a freshman come in and fill in for him or at least a roster spot, um, for a game or two or three or four, you know, they're able to have that until they're able to get back. So it'll, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of it used as almost an injury reserve um, for early on in the season. Um, if, it, if that happens, I mean, it, football being as physical as it is, it's just there's bound to be injuries going into the season even before it really gets started. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of different ways teams and players are going to be able to use this. And like you said, it's going to affect the game. Like it's going to in some way, shape, or form. But since we've never really seen any like, anything like this from the NCAA, it's going to be really hard to judge the impact um, and the extent of it um, without having seen it on the field. Yeah, for sure. And um, something that goes along with the injuries kind of is quarterback battles. This year there's, I think, the most quarterback battles uh, that I can possibly remember. So, you know, a player gets beat out and they can just essentially redshirt, or they could play a couple games, a team realizes they want to go with the other quarterback, and they could redshirt again instead of trying to transfer or, you know, whatever other option they might have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, we could go on and on. There's just endless possibilities for these players and coaches um, to use this rule in their favor, and I'm sure um, – within the next few years, we're going to see the NCAA kind of tinker with these rules that may not look exactly the same five years from now, um, just because it is something new and they could find some problems with it, uh, some weaknesses, and then also some strengths uh, to really make sure that they have the best possible set of rules um, for competition, entertainment, um, and safety um, for the players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm for it. I'm interested to see what else they're willing to change. And now something else that may be changing coming up is where LeBron James is going to be playing next season. Uh, his contract uh, can be up. He has a player option this offseason. He is expected to decline it even if he wants to stay in Cleveland um, he's expected to decline it and restructure of Cleveland if that's what he wants to do. Um, we're going to do a segment here, top five. Uh, this will be something that will be recurring throughout New Stars. Um, this is the first one that we're doing on the show. And right now, Matt and I are going to give you our top five locations uh, for LeBron to go. Matt, I'll start with you um, from five up to one, one being the most likely landing spot for him. Uh, where are some options uh, that you see LeBron heading to? All right. So the least likely, in my opinion, is New York. Um, I have New York on the list because I think it would be a fun place to go. I don't mm. see him staying with Cleveland. I don't 
blame him for leaving Cleveland. I mean, who would want to stay after a finals like that? But, um, yeah, so New York's my five. Number four, uh, the Boston Celtics. They have potential, mm-hmm. so, you know, maybe he'll end up in Boston. Number three, L.A. He would have to work around a newer team in L.A., but, you know, he's done it before, so maybe L.A. will be an option. My personal favorite, where I hope he goes, Houston, number two. Uh, if he goes to Houston, I think they can definitely topple the Warriors. I think this Houston team's good enough to do it as is. So if LeBron can join them as well, I think they're a sure, sure, you know, for the finals. And the number one most likely, in my opinion, is Philadelphia, who is also a very good team without LeBron. If they can add LeBron, you know, they'll run the East. Yeah, um I got a um a different I got a pretty different list. We got some of the same teams on there, but my order's a little bit different. Um my number 5, so out of the top 5, the least likely I think he'll go is Philadelphia. Um there's been a lot of buzz about him going to Philly. Um I just don't know basketball-wise if it's the best fit for him with Joel Embiid still trying to find consistency in his jump set shot and Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz trying to find a jump shot to begin with. (laughs) Um, I don't know um, if that'll be the best X's and O's basketball place for him to go just because he needs shooters out on the perimeter to space the floor and be able to knock down shots. And I think that the play styles of Ben Simmons and LeBron James are so similar that it could end up um, hurting uh, Ben Simmons' development um, in Philadelphia and also take away, um, I think they might cancel out some of their strengths just because they'll both be trying to do it at the same time. Uh, for number four, I've got the Spurs. Um, they have a lot going on in San Antonio. Well, not really a lot. They have one big thing going on in San Antonio, and that's trying to keep Kawhi Leonard happy and around. Um, I think that's priority number one for them. But LeBron has always had great respect for Greg Popovich. Uh, Popovich has said, um, or reports are coming out that he'll most likely coach the Spurs through 2020. Um, so that could be a fact. That's why I don't have them higher. If this was a few years ago and a new pop would be around for a while and Kawhi was happy, I think that LeBron um, would look at that as one of the top spots. And I still think it will get consideration, but there may be too many question marks for it to really happen. Number three, I've got the Lakers. Uh, This is the one similarity we share on the list, both of the Lakers coming in at number three. Um, They have enough money right now to sign both him and another max deal without really having to make any moves. That's one advantage they have over everybody else. Um, Other teams will have to find a way to make the cap space for LeBron to come in. Um, There's always been some sort of draw uh, from LeBron to L.A. and vice versa. Um, I think it fits well for them. I think that um, they'll be able to surround themselves with the shooters he needs. Brandon Ingram has been making strides. Lonzo Ball found his shot later in the season. And Kyle Kuzma has proven uh, to be an NBA uh, starter caliber player after just one year. Number two, I have Cleveland. Uh, Matt, I know you left them off the list. But I think that the draw home is so strong that that might actually happen. Basketball-wise, 
Absolutely. He should not stay in Cleveland. Uh, what happened in the finals was embarrassing for that whole franchise, really, except for LeBron. He was the only one who was really able to walk off the court looking like a talented basketball player. Um, but I do think he loves his home. I don't know if he'll want to move his family. Uh, so for more personal than basketball reasons, I think that the Cavs are the number two most likely for him to go to. And number one, I got Houston. Um, they will have to make some money for him. Uh, trading away uh, Ryan Anderson would be huge. Um, he's making, I think, over $20 million next year. So they'd have to move him and one other piece um, to make room for him. But they're certainly willing to make that sacrifice. Um, I mean, a starting lineup with Chris Paul, James Harden, LeBron James, whoever you want at the four, and then Clint Capella at the five would be scary. And I think you're right, would have a chance at beating the Warriors um, in the Western Conference playoffs. Um, Matt, your reaction uh, to any of those picks? Yeah, um, I just think that if he goes to Houston, it's almost as if it's like an all-star team. It's like, uh, m- you know, my team on NBA. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know there's a lot of talks about him going to L.A. I didn't realize how much cash space they had, so maybe that's more of an option as well. But if he does go to L.A., he's going to have to meet them in the Western Conference Finals, either them or the Rockets. So um, it won't get any easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and – it, it's got to be really frustrating for him that the best matches are all in the West. <laughs> I'm sure he would love it for some reason. Houston was all of a sudden a team in the East. <laughs> I think that would make his decision a lot easier. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much that really plays a factor in his decision. Um, one point I, don't, I want to make about yours is you had the, uh, Boston at number four. I don't think that there's a likelihood of that happening really at all. I think that the Cavs, or excuse me, the Celtics have really invested in Kyrie Irving and want him to be more or less the face of this franchise at the moment. And that's not saying that LeBron James is worse than Kyrie. LeBron's obviously better. But considering that Kyrie had left Cleveland more or less because of LeBron, I don't think they're going to risk bringing in LeBron for maybe a few years. Um, and risk Kyrie leaving in free agency um, when his contract expires in just two years, I believe. Um, so I don't think they're going to want to rock the boat. And they've proven how they've shown how close they were to, without Kyrie and Gordon to get past uh, LeBron and the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, so I think that they'd be willing to just go all in with a healthy Hayward and Kyrie um, and keep building around what they have. Um, so that's my take um, on the Boston situation. All right, so at the end of the show every week, we just like to take a second to close with prayer. Um, so first off, um, God, thank you uh, for giving us the opportunity to get together um, and talk about sports. Um, it can get heated um, at times talking about sports with people, but um, we're thankful that we're able to handle it. Um, in a passionate yet respectful way on this show. Um, we thank you um, for the opportunity to get to do this. this. We feel very lucky and blessed to be able uh, to talk about sports um, and be able to get our voices um, heard by other people who have the same interest in us. Um, and we'd like to thank you for 
keeping all the athletes that we talk about um, safe. We hope that we, they continue to stay safe so we can appreciate um, the craft um, and the hard work that goes in uh, to going out there on the court, field, diamond, uh, rink, uh, whatever you may have. Um, and we just appreciate all the opportunities that you give us. Amen. Amen. All right, so that concludes the show. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Make sure to come back next week, every Friday at 9 a.m., New Stars Drops. Uh, You could find it on the podcast app, Anchor, Podcast Republic. So be sure to check it out. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow it. So thank you, guys.